Stevens, and you're listening to Faith Is. I'm so glad you've joined us today. This is a place where you want to be because we talk about how to grow in God's direction. We talk about how to have faith, actually faith in God. And we mean by that absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. That's how we define faith. Now, I know there's a lot of ways to define faith, and I don't think a lot of people try to make it as concrete as I do. And I know there are a lot of variables, or maybe I should say variations, of the way we refer to the word faith or qualify the word faith. I've just used this definition because, to me, it summarizes a lot of the ways that we use faith. Faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, and God wants us to trust Him. That's apparent from the very beginning pages of the Bible, and it continues all the way through. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to love Him. He wants us to give allegiance to Him. Well, you're not going to likely love Him or give allegiance to Him if you don't trust Him. And so we talk about faith as absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And a lot of people stumble over that trustworthiness idea because too many people define trustworthiness as, did God do what I wanted him to do? And if he will do what I want him to do, then I'll trust him. Well, that's just, well, well. there's a theological term that I use sometimes. Uh, are you ready for it? That's just baloney. If we think that God has to do what we want him to do, then who's really the smartest one in the room. No, God wants us to trust Him that He knows what we can never know and that He is always positioning Himself and moving in the lives of people and in our lives for our good. That's kind of the definition of love. So, don't expect God to do what you want and don't base your trusting of Him on whether He's done what you want. There are plenty of things that we could all say, well, I wish God had done, or if God had only done, I get that. I think that's common for a lot of us to think that from time to time. But what we forget is that God is God and we are not. We will never be. And the good news is that we can trust Him because He wants to help us. He has done everything, including great personal sacrifice for our well-being. So stretch in his direction. Lean into the grace that he wants to give. Don't lean back. Lean in. And let's let God be God, and let's learn to actually trust him. Well, we've got a few things to talk about today, and that's one of them, just to remind us to trust him. And really, in, in no small measure, what we want to talk about is sin. And uh, it's, not because, it's not because we're experts on sinning. Well, maybe some of us are. Occasionally, you get the impression some people are an expert at sin. No, it's because we want to understand it better so that we can understand how God works in our lives and the lives of the people we care about to bring about redemption from sin, healing from the sinful things that have happened, how he restores wholeness and hope in spite of sin. So we're going to get to that, and we're going to look at a a rather popular psalm and go through that a little bit and let it be a kind of a, a beginning point for our look at sin 
And again, we, we talked about sin a little bit, and I did a couple of weeks ago, trying to have a little more comprehensive understanding of it. So that's what we're going to do this week, too. We're going to take another stab at that. If you listened to that program and you thought, man, oh, man, there's a lot to this, and I don't understand it. I, I get that. There's a lot to it. Don't expect everybody to understand everything. But I think if we break it down and consider it enough, we can come to a better understanding. And when we have a better understanding of sin, we know how to allow grace to help us say no to sin. How to let grace do something in our lives we didn't know was possible to restore the damage caused by sin. And that's what we need. Psalm 23 says, He restores my soul. And that's what we need when it comes to sin. Restoration of soul. And so we're going to look at that through that lens and try to help ourselves understand that better. But first, let me tell you, I've had quite the last week or so, um, quite, I was planning for it, I knew it would happen, but sometimes it seems like you make these plans and it turns out to be a lot more than you ever imagined. You ever had that problem? And, and this was a lot more in a good way and in an exhausting way. But let me just give you a little bit. It might help you understand something more about me and what I do. And, and I want to spur you on in a direction that I think could be enormously, well, I don't think I know, it can be enormously helpful for the people in your life and maybe for generations to come, depending on what you're able to do about it. That's a pretty big, that's a pretty big suggestion, isn't it? Well, I haven't talked about it a lot, but I helped start a few years ago an organization in Florida, and we work exclusively in Florida, called the Florida Citizens Alliance. And we do a number of things. We primarily describe ourselves as a grassroots organization, and it's true, most of the people are just regular folks like us. And we work to bring solutions to the problems of K-12 through education in Florida. We've been doing that for a while now, and we've been doing it in a number of different ways. And we've had some good successes. We're still fighting some significant battles, you could say. Still some things that need to be taken care of. But, you know, you, you count what you can as a victory and you keep working because, well, the, the problems are always going to be there. Something always pops up. And we don't shrink from those problems. We try to bring solutions to those problems. That's very important. You get upset with something, you're supposed to figure out how to solve it, not just whine and complain about it. So anyway, as a result of my involvement with the Florida Citizens Alliance and our work to help improve K-12 education, we have taken some initiative to encourage people to start micro-schools. And that's very simply, that's a, a type of one-room schoolhouse where parents get together and on their own, or they can sometimes get help with that from an outside educator or something, but they decide they're going to take responsibility for the education of their children. And it doesn't matter what age or grade the children are in, you can form a group of kids, maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen, maybe eight. There's no real limit or prescribed number to, to be the best. It's just you can take a bunch of kids, your parents bring them together, you choose a curriculum and you start teaching them. And in case you're thinking that's a little strange, well, it's not that strange. It's kind of what they used to do back in the good old days, way before my time, when they had one-room schoolhouses all across the country because there was no real option. They had to take responsibility if their kids were going to learn. So that's what they did. And they learned. In the same way, you can teach your children. Your children can learn from your 
good work to help them learn. Nobody knows your children better than you. Nobody loves them more than you. And so you can teach them. Some people think, well, I don't know how. Yeah, you know how because you've already taught your kids a lot of stuff. So we've been encouraging people to start these micro schools. And as part of that, we've been trying to learn more about the whole education Uh, how should I say, engagement, uh, environment, initiative. And so we've we've been looking around to see where we can find help. And we found some strategic partners that we work with, and that's good. And one of the organizations we came across is the Herzog Foundation. You may have heard of the Herzog Corporation. It's the same sort of company. The thing is that the founder, Stanley Herzog, left a big pile of money to a foundation with the instructions that they were supposed to be a catalyst to advance K through 12 Christian education. So they have taken that on as their responsibility both to encourage people to start such schools and to equip and help raise the level of what goes on in already existing Christian schools. And they're very generous in the way they do that and one of the expressions of their generosity are training workshops, conferences, I guess you could say, that they conduct in many places in the country, and they conduct them for qualified people, and there are some qualifications they expect, just anybody can't show up, but they're very generous in in who can qualify and how to help you understand what's going on, and they conduct these workshops to train those of us who are interested in encouraging Christian education. Well, I went to one last October, and that one happened to be in Dallas. It was very good. Uh, I I can't say enough good about how that was so insightful, particularly on the idea of donor relations, because Christian schools depend upon, need support from people who believe in their mission. So that was very helpful. But about a week ago or so, um, I lose track of time sometimes with being gone like that, because everything's out of sync. You know how that goes. But anyway, I attended one of their workshops in Orlando, Florida. Well, Orlando's about a three-hour drive from where I live. I tell people it's about a three-hour drive unless there's Orlando traffic. And if you've ever been to Orlando in the traffic, you know exactly what I mean. And my three-hour drive was not three-hour drive when I got up there because the traffic was backed up enormously. But I got to the hotel and got settled in. Everything was fine. It was not uh, at all terribly complicated. I was glad I left early and allowed plenty of time. But anyway, I attended this conference and, and they they provide everything. When you, when you qualify to be a part of their program, they provide everything. So the hotel room was paid for, all of the expense of the presenters was paid for, they provide meals while you're there. So you are extraordinarily well treated. I can't say enough about how they make it so easy to be a part of that. The only thing really you're responsible for is getting yourself to the conference and getting yourself home. And so that's that's fairly minimal. It was particularly minimal in going to Orlando. But anyway, the one in Orlando was really insightful, really good, great presenters. And it was focused on culture building and employee engagement. That sounds like a pretty fancy title, and it is. And it's not as complicated as it might sound in the title. It's very down-to-earth information, very helpful. It essentially centers around how do you prepare, set up, act in your organization to encourage employee or volunteer even engagement. Are people really engaged in what you're doing? Are they on, we sometimes say, the same page as you are? And it was, it was very interesting to hear how they t- talked about 
understanding who you are, developing who you are, and then evaluating all of the people that help you in your organization to see if they're in line with all of that. Because if they're not, it probably means they aren't engaged, and it probably means they are a negative contribution to your organization rather than a positive one. Well, that's a very, very, very little bit of an idea of what that's about. One of the interesting things that that I was exposed to and I had heard about, but had never really been around or, or known, known much about it, so I know a little bit more about it now, was an organization called the Best Christian Workplaces. And you may have seen some of these articles reporting on the best Christian workplaces in the country because they've been around for a number of years. I don't remember how many years, but I've seen their reports from time to time. And if you score a certain level on their evaluation instruments, then your organization is listed by them as a best workplace, a place people will want to work. And of course, that's good if you're trying to recruit talent. You want to be known as a best place to work because the best people want to work at the best places. I think that kind of makes sense. But it's very insightful, and I can't say enough about how how both insightful it was and how rigorous their evaluations are and how helpful they are. They don't go into an organization just to say whether you're up to snuff or not. They go in to evaluate how you're doing, and then if you're not up to snuff, they give you concrete ways you can improve. And it's very interesting to hear how they talk about it and how sometimes people in organizations, they just have blind spots. They don't realize that it's coming across the way it is. And so they coach the people involved and help people get to a different level and make a better contribution. So you can check them out there. They have websites. You can look at their information. It's very interesting and, and look around there. And if you're part of an organization, you may want to consider talking to them, having them come and do an evaluation for you. Um, I don't know what they charge, but they seem very reasonable in terms of their people skills, and so I'm sure they would work with you to try to help make that possible in your organization. If you do that, you have to get ready to be honest about what they discover. And they've been doing this long enough that they have developed enough expertise that I think you can trust what they come up with. Not pretending it's perfect, I don't think they would pretend that, but it's helpful. So that was that was very interesting. I, I enjoyed that very much. Well, from that conference, that was over on a Wednesday afternoon, um, just at just at lunchtime. In fact, they gave us a sack lunch to go. And I thought that was a creative idea. And so I had planned to head out from Orlando. Rather than turning around and driving home and waiting for a couple of days, I decided that I would drive on toward the next destination, which is Nashville, Tennessee. But I would take a detour because I love the Smoky Mountains. So I went through the Smoky Mountains to see what was going on there. I'd never been to the Smokies in the wintertime, and I thought that would be interesting to see what's different. Well, it was very interesting. There was a lot more green than I expected for this time of year, but I don't think that was terribly unusual. I, I drove around and, and walked around a little bit and spent two days there uh, enjoying the area very much and it was it was wonderful weather I have no complaints about that one of the fascinating things is I drove through the Cades Cove area of the Smoky Mountain National Park and saw daffodils I haven't seen daffodils probably since I moved to Florida and I thought that was really quite remarkable here it is the end of February and I'm driving through the Smoky Mountains and there in the woods 
beside the road that I'm driving through, there is a whole bunch of daffodils growing. I, I thought that was great. Well, it reminds me, and even driving along without daffodils, the mountain rivers, the streams, it's just really a refreshing thing I find. So, so I just enjoy it a lot, just enjoy that area. If you've never been there, I, I encourage you to go check it out. It's nice to go this time of the year because the crowds aren't so great. You don't have as many people there because it's a, a very heavily visited park for good reason. But if you can go and um, take in the sights, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Well, I, I left the Smoky Mountains area and drove the three hours to Nashville. I went early to Nashville so I could visit a church that I had not known too much about the church, but I had read some things that some articles that the pastor had written. The pastor has now retired. And so I thought, this guy has, he's got it figured out. There was a lot of really good perspective that he wrote in those articles, both that would help people, but it was also obvious that that he understand what it means to be a pastor and the challenges and so forth. And, and I could respect what he said. So I thought, well, I'd like to visit that church and see what the church is like. I figured it might be different than it had been when he was there, and that didn't worry me. That, that happens. People retire and churches change. But I still wanted to see as a mammoth church, huge church, not just in its location that I've visited, but it has satellite campuses. It's just a very big operation. And it was uh, that was obvious in all kinds of ways. But I have to commend the church. It was it was um, not at all what I thought I might find. Some of these churches that you go to, they, they amount to two things, a concert and a talk. Or it, hopefully it's a sermon, not just a talk, but sometimes it's a concert and a talk. And this one was very much not that. In fact, I was trying to figure out exactly how to describe that, and, and we're going to talk about this concept a little bit later. We get into some Bible study here. I was trying to think, why did that service seem so meaningful to me? Why did I find it effective? Well, I'm not being critical at all, but the pastor's sermon was fine, but it wasn't anything that I found to be particularly uh Yay, Ra, here it is. It was based on the Bible. He actually used the Bible, several verses from the Bible. That's all good. And, and I wasn't there to evaluate how to, good does a pastor do. I'm always interested as a pastor in other pastors' sermons and things like that. And, and you have to give him an A for his sermon. I, I no, no, um, no reason to, to be critical of it at all. But it wasn't the sermon that, that made me feel that way. And I kept trying to put into words, what was it exactly? Because no, no light bulbs went off when he was talking. Uh, but I also didn't find any problems. And if you, you ever preach and other pastors in the audience, you can expect them to be looking for anything that you might have gotten wrong. Well, I wasn't looking for that and didn't find it. But here's what I finally ended up, I was talking to some other people this morning earlier, and I finally came up that the best way I could describe it is that service from the beginning all the way through made me feel like I was in the stream of grace. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a good thing to be in the stream of grace. And I had not really experienced church like that because when you're the pastor and you're doing things, it, you don't have the opportunity in quite the same way to just put yourself in the stream of grace. It doesn't mean I don't benefit from my own church. That's not what I'm saying at all. That would be that would be the wrong conclusion because 
our being together for worship does put us all in the stream of grace and I recognize that and sometimes in different ways but almost always I, I am encouraged and and buoyed along we might say in that stream of grace but I just think that that was worth committing and it made me also think that I've admonished a lot of you to find a church and go every week and I haven't changed my mind on that and you know who I'm talking about because you are out there and you know who needs to hear this and who needs to do this so if that's you let me give you one more thought about how you can evaluate a church and see if maybe you would like to go to that church well the thought is obvious you just heard me say it the thought is obvious you want to look for a church that puts you in the stream of grace that's one way to think about it now I've often said and I was to say again and still that you need to find a church that recognizes the authority of the Bible and I felt like this one did and you notice I didn't tell you the brand name and I'm not really reluctant to tell you but I don't want to be distracting by mentioning that because then you might assume it has to be that brand name to be a church that will put you in the stream of grace. I, I, I don't want you to think that. I want you to find a church that makes Christ the priority, that keeps the Bible as sacred and authoritative, and that helps you find your way into the stream of grace. Because grace is what God uses to reach out to us and then we have the opportunity to respond to that grace he extends to us. So I want to really remind you again, find that church, go every week. I know some people go once and say, well, it didn't do much for me. Well, whoopee-doo. You don't think everything you do is always going to do something for you. Have you ever had a meal that was just okay, and then you've had other meals that were just spectacular? Well, why do you expect any experience to be somehow spectacular every time? I'm not giving churches a pass to be complacent or not try to do a good job. That's not it at all. What I'm saying is that part of what we need to do is to continually put ourselves in the stream of grace. And that means in one respect, and there are others, that means showing up to church. That means being there every week. If you struggle with that, let me give you a challenge. Start this weekend... Start as soon as you can. Make every effort to be at church for at least three months. Then you can start thinking about that. If you're new to church, you need to give yourself at least that long to start feeling comfortable. Every new thing you try feels uncomfortable until it doesn't. So think about that. Consider that. Now, I was there for a conference again by the Herzog Foundation, another excellent conference held just in the block next to the Ryman Auditorium, in case you know where Ryman Auditorium is. It started out as a church, by the way, if you didn't know that. And just a block off of, of Broadway, which is where the, the, I guess you'd say, the, the strip of Nashville is. You know, you've heard of the Las Vegas Strip. I've never been there, but this is a strip in Nashville. And we had a great conference centered on spiritual formation. And one of the things that I was looking for was how do they define spiritual formation? And they never really, to my satisfaction anyway, gave us a definition. Instead, at one point, they asked us to write down our definition of spiritual formation. Uh, that was interesting. And uh, I was glad for the challenge. I didn't hesitate at all. 
But what do you think of as spiritual formation? Do you ever give that any thought? Well, let me tell you a couple of things. This is why church is so important and other things. We, we, we can talk about other things, but spiritual formation is that enterprise or those activities that help us grow in God's direction. We are all formed every day by the things that we do and the things that we don't do. So formation is normal in life. It's going to happen. It's happening to you. Spiritual formation is different. It's the kind of thing that we put ourselves again in that stream of grace. We do things that allow the grace of God to touch us. And so I've thought a lot about that. And and spiritual formation, as I was thinking about it, is, is the intentional response to the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, there's a verse in the message in Matthew chapter 11. You read down toward the end, and it talks about being tired or burned out about religion and all that, and people sometimes get that way. I think that's a little overstatement there. But it, but Jesus' words go on to say, watch what I do, work with me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And that's what I would like for you, to learn and respond to the unforced rhythms of grace. Well, we're going to get into Psalms in just a minute. You stay with us. I'm Pastor Rick. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body, and now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, inflammation, and weight. These are all real-world problems that 87% of Americans are struggling with. Often, there are no symptoms, but left unattended, we become inundated with one health problem after another. It's time to fight back with Heal Right. Heal Right is a bar that you eat, but it's food as medicine that addresses the nutritional root cause of health issues in just eight weeks. Developed by world-renowned scientists and backed by 15 years of research, Heal Right is effective, but it's also delicious and works without additional diet or lifestyle changes. Step out of the statistics and use food as medicine. Visit HealRight.com outloud or americaoutloud.shop and use the code OUTLOUD for 20% off. You've all heard Dr. McCullough and others share over and over the value of keeping your sinuses cleansed. It's a smart move all year, but even more so when we're cooped up inside. It's not really open for debate any longer. Those that live smart and live well pay attention to nasal and oral hygiene. Cofix RX has just the tools for the job with our nasal and throat cleanse. Click the Cofix RX banner on americaoutloud.shop to get 20% off your entire order. That's right, americaoutloud.shop. Use coupon code OUTLOUD. That's coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off your entire order. 
Use CofixRx because it works. Spike proteins help viruses enter into your cells, disrupting your health and your well-being. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body of spike proteins, which allows your body to repair from within, supporting your immune and respiratory systems and regulating your inflammatory response. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global Healing giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them. From improving immune health and supporting gut health, to reducing the appearance of wrinkles, and even improving mind, mood, and energy. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Many voices, one freedom, united in the First Amendment. Our goal is to herald the voice of genuine liberty at AmericaOutloud.news. A place where you'll find the naked truth expressed with a patriotic heart. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. I'm Pastor Rick. So glad you stayed with us. We're going to talk some more about important things. And in some respects, maybe in every respect, more important things than we talked about before. I do believe that Christian education for our children, particularly K through 12, is absolutely essential in these days. They need the truth. 
and there is so much deception out there. We need to get them in schools that will teach them the truth. And if if I can help you, I would want to encourage you to reach out to the Florida Citizens Alliance. You can do a quick web search and find us, and there's a way to email us. If you will email us, and if we can give you some ideas or help, we can't do work for you, but we can give you some insights and help you get connected to Herzog. Maybe you're a Christian school administrator or some other kind of head of school. Well, I'd love to help you get connected with the resources that they have, and we can do that. If you email us through the website, just mention that you heard about it from me, and that way they'll be sure and get me the message, and we can respond in the best way we, we possibly can to you. Well, I want us to talk about this idea of sin. We talked about it some little while ago, a couple of weeks ago. It's a continuing topic. I mean, anybody who thinks about a pastor probably thinks the pastor is going to talk about sin. Well, and probably so, because the thing is, sin is what leads us to death. And the solution for, for sin is what brings life to us. It makes us new. And so, of course, we're going to talk about that, because church and things related to Christian faith are not just things. They are literally life and death to us. And so we do talk about that. So I want to talk about that some and give you a few ideas. Let's go back to Psalm 19. I don't know if we've ever talked about Psalm 19 here, but it's really quite a popular or maybe I should say familiar psalm because of the ending. And in this particular English translation, the last verse reads this way, May my words and my thoughts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my sheltering rock and my redeemer. Now, chances are you've heard that said a little differently. I'm reading from the New English translation today. But you probably got the sense of that, that that's a very common prayer. May my words and my thoughts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my sheltering rock and my redeemer. Well, what we probably haven't connected is just before that, and particularly in the couple of verses right before that, it's talking about sin and about how the psalmist, as he writes, has an awareness sometimes of sin and how much he doesn't want sin to control him so that he can be blameless and not caught up in rebellion. So the psalm starts out, and I guess I won't read the whole thing, but you may be familiar with the opening words when it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And it goes on to very eloquently describe how God's glory is demonstrated in creation. It talks about, even uses the idea that creation speaks. But the psalmist says, well, not literally, in verse 3, but yet, that voice of creation speaks throughout the earth. It talks about sun, and it describes the sun as, as a, a tent being pitched in the sky when it goes down and then it, when it emerges from the tent. So it uses poetic descriptions of the sun coming and going from a tent. It talks about some other things and, and the importance of, of our noticing God's revelation in creation. It gets into about the middle of the psalm, the idea about the law of the Lord being perfect in verse 7, and how following what God says preserves one's life, about how the rules are good for us, they help us practice wisdom, which is a very good concept. talks about the fairness of God, the commands are right and pure, all those kind of things that we need to have proper fear of God. It talks about how they're they're valuable, that the words of God are valuable like gold, sweeter like honey. And starting in verse 11, let me read from the New English translation. Yes, 
your servant finds moral guidance there. Now that's referring to the word of God, the law of God. Yes, your servant finds moral guidance there. Those who obey them receive a rich reward. So we get right off the bat, we find guidance to know right from wrong, from what God has told us in his words, as the psalmist might say in the law or in his commands. And so we find no doubt about the clarity between right and wrong. And we can find that because we find moral guidance in the scriptures. So it continues, verse 12, Who can know all his errors? Please do not punish me for sins I am unaware of. Moreover, keep me from committing flagrant sins. Do not allow such sins to control me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of blatant rebellion. May my words and my thoughts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So that's a little bit of the psalm that we want to take a look at. And, and I was particularly struck by the verse that talks about sin in a way that we don't necessarily think about it. And, it, and as I looked at it, and as I remembered studying it from other times, it, it said to me, hmm, something's going on here. Because the, the phrase in verse 13 that this translation says, keep me from committing flagrant sins, is translated in different ways in other translations. And it, and it got me to thinking, now how can all of these different ones say different things? How do we sort out what it means? Because it clearly struck me as, well, if one says it one way and one says it another way, then do we have a problem or maybe we do have a problem of understanding? So I, I spent some time trying to sort through all of that. And let me give, just give you an idea. Here's I, I laid out several Bibles to look at so we could have a little clearer idea of what I'm talking about here. But here in verse 13, in this English translation, which is called the First Testament, it's probably not one you're familiar with, but it says, hold your servant back from assertive deeds. Okay, so we started out in the first one that I read, hold, uh, keep me from committing flagrant sins. And here this one says, assertive deeds. Hmm. Is that the same thing or is that different? Well, it is something, that's for sure. Well, let me pick up another one here. This one's also from Psalm 19 in, in verse 13 said, save your servant from willful sins. Don't let them rule me. So there it says willful. Now, is that like assertive or flagrant? Well, maybe. I'm not sure what we're getting at here. Let's keep going. Well, here's another one. And I remember studying and coming across this description years ago. But it says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Hmm. Presumptuous sins. Now, is that the same? What is going on here? Do we have a do we have a problem with translating the Bible? Well, I looked at some of my tools to try to understand the original language better, and I couldn't find a real problem with what they had been saying here or a real insight. Here's another one. This one, this is the New International Version. Some of you may be familiar with this one. It says, keep your servant also from willful sins. Now, is a willful sin different from a presumptuous sin? Well, this is why I want us to think about that. Willful sounds like we do it and we know we shouldn't do it. Or we refuse to do it and we know God expects us to do it. So we're willfully disobeying. Well, is that the same as presumptuous? Well, 
Hmm. Well, here's another one, the last one to look at. What does it say? Again, verse 13. Yeah, keep your servant from willful sins. So I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, we need to clarify what's going on here. And we need to understand what's going on here a little bit better. And one of the things we know about sin is that God forgives sin. But if we don't agree with God that it's sin, then we put ourselves in a pretty precarious spot. So I was thinking about that, and I remembered Psalm 32. So I looked this up in the message, and listen to what this says about sin. We're not going to read the whole psalm, but listen to what this says, and, and don't miss what it says about our response to sin. So Psalm 32, starting at the beginning, from the message. Count yourself lucky. How happy you must be. You get a fresh start, your slates wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you, and you're holding nothing back from Him. When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Then I let it all out. I said, I'll make a clean breast of my failures to God. Suddenly, the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sin disappeared. These things add up. Every one of us needs to pray. Well, I'm going to stop right there. That's at about verse 6. Well, the whole point is the psalmist is saying, when I tried to hide my sins from God, it didn't go so well. It says in here, how did he put that? My bones turned to powder. Well, some others don't use quite that figurative of language, but it's the same idea. The idea is that we are miserable when we try to hide our sins, and when we confess our sins, then we find real life from God. That's the point. And so I've been wrestling with this. What's the psalmist trying to say here? And one of the reasons that it caught my attention was, in another English translation, it says, cleanse me from these hidden faults. And I thought, hidden faults, what does that mean? How do we wrestle our way around all of that? And so to resolve that, and, and not because I think that these English translations are wrong, I, I don't come to that conclusion at all. I, I resist the trap that some people fall into of trying to trying to say, well, this English translation got it right and this one got it wrong. Uh, I, I resist that because, well, it's really challenging to translate from one language to another. And so when these guys are doing that, and ladies, then I respect the challenge and the difficulty because I know it's not just a word, one-on-one word correspondence. It's different. It's like my experience when I went to Cuba a few years ago. Went on a mission trip down there with some other pastors, and it was a great experience. Absolutely wonderful. The people there were terrific. I enjoyed it very much. It was grievous to see how they had to live and the conditions in the country because of the political environment. But the people were terrific, and God was blessing them and helping them, and I was really impressed by those people. And you gotta, you got to understand, they, they, uh, they put up with a lot of difficult things in life, but they overcame them. Well, I met a young lady there at a, at a church. We visited several churches. They're all small, most of them in the house of the pastor. That's another part of the story. But anyway, I, we met her. We ha- happened to have our supper there, our dinner at that location. And as it turned out, 
the rest of the people on our team needed to go to another place, and I can't remember why they went, but they left me there by myself at this church in Cuba. I had no real idea where I was. I knew who I was with. I didn't fear the people that I was with or have any reason to doubt their friendliness or anything like that. But I can remember as they drove away thinking, here I am. I don't really know where I am. I don't speak the language. This is going to be interesting. Well, it was my responsibility to preach that night, so I did. But the thing I also remember about that church was that there was a young lady there, a young Cuban lady. She was either in her early 20s, maybe. Uh, I can't remember her, exactly if I even knew her age. But she spoke English like she had been raised in this country. I mean, it was impeccable. She was so good, she understood our expressions. You know, we might use a figure of speech of one kind or another, and we use words in certain contexts that we all understand immediately, but somebody who's just learning the language might not. She had all of that down. She spoke clearly. She spoke like a native English speaker. And I always remember that because she sometimes translated. And when you, tr and you do this translation like that in real time, it's not easy. But the fact that she understood the language so well, she could communicate to us very well. Well, that's what I think the people in the scriptures are doing. When we have people translating these, they're trying to help us understand it, and I generally give them credit for doing a good job. So I don't worry about these differences, but it kind of challenged me to think about them. So I went back to, to some of the notes I had made when I was thinking about sin more carefully, and, and I was trying to think, okay, we're, we're talking about several different things here. We're talking about a couple of different expressions for sin, and, and one of them says, please do not punish me for sins I am unaware of. Another English translation called that hidden faults. Okay, so, so what does it mean? We might not be aware of sin? Hmm. Generally speaking, don't we think we know when we sin? Well, generally speaking, but, but maybe there are some things that we're not aware of. But then it goes on in the, these, this English translation to say, keep me from committing flagrant sins. And, and some others said it a little bit differently. One other one, how did it say? It says um, willful sins. Well, that's clearly when you say willful and flagrant, I think includes that, that we know what we're doing. We know we did it. So that's, that's you know, I'm putting all this together, hidden versus clear. And of course, when it talks about in the, in the very next, next statement, when it says, keep me from committing flagrant sins, it goes on to say, do not allow such sins to control me then I will be blameless and innocent of blatant rebellion. Well, that's a pretty bad place to be, blatant rebellion. Other translations used great transgressions in that spot, either of which I think fit the bill. And I, again, I don't worry about that so much. But thinking back about what is sin, really, and the famous definition that I've used often, and, and I still think it's valuable, is this idea that sin is a willful transgression of the known law of God which means we do it on purpose and we know what we're doing and we know it came from God so we know better because we're willfully doing it. Well, that kind of covers the one thing mentioned here, but what about the hidden part? So I went back and I was thinking about this. Well, we know sin is, is understood as a state because of original sin. In other words, we have a, a bent towards sinning, as one of the great hymns of the church says. And, and we also know that um, 
because of original sin, that we as people have been corrupted. The, the moral image of God that was in us has been messed up. I think it's a good description to say we have disordered love. We, we don't know how to love properly. We see that a lot in our world, don't we? And it's also, it includes the absence of God's Spirit in us. And so we cannot love properly because we don't have the love of God in us directing us. So we have this state of sin. So it's entirely possible that when the psalm writer talks about these sins that I'm not aware of, that 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 could play a role in that. Well, we also know that sin is an act. That's where we do it. It's intentional. We talked about that with the definition just a moment ago. We know we did it, and we do it anyway. That's pretty serious stuff. But it's pretty obvious, and we should be able to begin to deal with that. Except that sin as an act also can be expressed by habits. Habits, what do I mean by that? Well, sometimes we get in the habit of acting a certain way, and and maybe we don't even realize that it's not a way we should act. We get into habits and they become, well, maybe we could call them compulsive kinds of behaviors. Sometimes people use the the word strongholds to talk about those kind of things, or addictions, but they they are habits. We maybe didn't mean for them to get to the state that they are, but they're there now, and that's just the way it is. We got to deal with it. So I think it's important to kind of think about that aspect of sin, and in that respect, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I'm just that way. There's nothing I can do about it, and that is always always cause me to to shudder a little bit because people just aren't realizing that if Jesus came to do anything, he came to deliver us from all these things and to just say that's the way I am. I understand how we might get there because it is such a habit that we think that's how we are, but where do habits come from? And, And that's why I want us to unpack some of these ideas. Habits come because, well, because of original sin. We have a bent towards sinning. We've inherited that quality of wanting to rebel or wanting to go our own way. You can describe it in a lot of ways, but it becomes um, simply our tendency to want to sin. And occasionally, an honest saint like Augustine will say, it wasn't so much about the fruit that I stole from the tree in the neighbor's yard next door. It was the, the thrill of doing it and getting away with it. Well, that's a bent toward sinning. And it's, it's one of the most compelling images I, I have to think about that because we all fall into that trap when we think, well, maybe I could do this and get away with it. And it's not the doing so much that we think is good. It's the whole idea that I can do this and I can get away with it and look how clever I am. Well, that, that is, is, is a representation of a habit that we could get into. And it comes from the fact that we inherited that bent to sinning. That's how these compulsive behaviors begin to take root. It also could come from acquiring the habit. You know, sometimes people give in to temptation, and that could be you. And you don't realize really where it's leading, but it turns out that it's leading in all the wrong directions. But you've developed the habit of giving into it so much that well, maybe you're not even quite aware that that started as a bad habit that you should have avoided, but you didn't know any better or 
or you didn't respond rightly when God said, hold on, now don't do that. But it has become, become a habit. And, and maybe because it's become a habit, it's kind of hidden because you think that's just the way you are. Well, I have good news for you. That is not the way you're intended to be. Yeah, we might get into habits, but we can get out of them too because that's the grace of God extended to us. And that's what I mean when I say we need to intentionally cooperate with the unforced rhythms of grace. When God extends grace, and even now, even now, are you ready for this? Even now, as I'm talking about this, God might begin to put a finger on something in your life and say, yeah, you know, you didn't really see this as what it is, but this is what it is. And maybe it comes out in your response to certain people. Maybe you have a sorry rascal in your life. And God is saying you respond this way because of that. And so that's part of what I mean by that. Now, there are some other aspects of of sin and the hidden faults could refer to ignorance or maybe a lack of wisdom, those kinds of things. But but let's, as we finish up, let's say, okay, now, now God is talking to me about something and I know that I need help in this area. And I've always kind of assumed that I was stuck. What do I do about that? And I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record because I come back to this idea often. I do that here at my church, Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, uh, with considerable regularity. But I want to say to us again that the whole point is to respond to the grace of God. When you know that he's speaking to you, then lean into that and cooperate with that grace. Too many people want to push it away, and like the psalm we read earlier, their bones turn to powder because they won't acknowledge their sin. That's, that's a huge problem in our culture. We don't want to acknowledge our sin, and I think part of the reason we don't is we've given up that there's any hope for us, so we have to find a way to say we're not broken when we know we are. So what do we do? Well, putting ourselves in the stream of grace is an intentional step. It's an intentional action. It's an intentional behavior that is intended to form our lives. Remember earlier I said that everything that we do in our lives, everything we experience, everything that we do from reading the news to turning on the television, all of that is formative in our lives. So we need to take some steps that will form us in God's direction. Now, what does that mean to put ourselves in the stream of grace? Well, let me give you a few that this author, you may have heard of Dallas Willard, he categorizes these as disciplines of engagement. We often use the word spiritual discipline for these things. He calls these disciplines of engagement. So let's just start with them this week. You can intentionally do some things that will help you get in the stream of grace, like study the Bible and unpack some of these things like I did when I was wrestling with this idea of sin here. You can worship, go to church. That's why I keep saying, go to church every week. That puts you in the stream of grace. That is an intentional behavior you can do to overcome these habits or strongholds or addictions. And addictions doesn't have to mean addictions to drugs or something like that. Maybe it doesn't mean addiction to drugs or alcohol, but you've been fighting that all this, t- all this time and not successful. Now put yourself in the stream of grace and let grace do its work without you almost realizing it. You will realize it at some point, but you got to start with things like study and worship. Go to church every week. Celebration. Celebrate the wins. You know, some, for some of us, it's hard to say, you know, I didn't give in to that temptation today. Thanks be to God. Thanks for grace that made me strong enough not to. Celebrate. 
service. So many people want to be served. We're in a, an age when everybody wants to be served. They don't want to serve. Well, one of the things you can do intentionally is serve. Go do something worthwhile. You've heard it before, and I don't need to say much more about it, but you can pray. Fellowship is one of those things. Hang out with the right people. That will stretch you in God's direction. Hang out here. That's what we try to do. Confession. Again, remember the psalm? That's an engagement thing. You can actively confess and say to God, I need your help. You know who I am, and I acknowledge who I am and what I've done. That's confession. And finally, on his list is submission. And that reminds me to go back to cooperate with grace. Intentionally cooperate with the unforced rhythms of grace. God wants to move you in the right direction. The question is, will you move with him? I'm Pastor Rick. We'll be back next week.